Well, I'm in Ecclesiastes. You guys already know it's coming, right? I've made, all, I've made the church depressed for like a month now. And I'm kind of sorry, not sorry. I don't know. Hopefully it's been good. I'm almost done, I think. So, all right. Starting in verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happened to the, so for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go in one place, to one place. All are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes downward into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can come before you now and open it and learn from it. And I pray that that's what we would do. I pray that we would have hearts to learn and grow and understand uh, what you have for us this morning. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Um, I enjoy uh, a really tasty uh, Coke Zero. And, and really, I enjoy the taste of Coke Zero for a few reasons. One, uh, regular Coke is much sweeter, right? Right. And so I kind of like the bittery taste of stuff, and so it's a little less sweet. Because of what? Do you guys know why? The, the aspartame that's in, in the Coke Zero, right? Aspartame. I like to imagine that when the people who invented aspartame were in the process of inventing it, that they had good intentions, right? How can we invent something that is sweet but has, like, no calorie content to it? Therefore, there's no real consequence in drinking it. You just drink it, enjoy the sweetness, and all is well. How can we do that? Right? I like to imagine that when they invented aspartame, that was their intention. Has it turned out that way? No. Sadly not. Even though I still enjoy the taste of a Coke Zero, aspartame actually, it turns out, is not that good for you, right? As it turns out, despite their good intentions in inventing a sweetener that has no consequence, it in fact does have many consequences, and more and more studies today kind of prove that. Um, and that happens a lot in life, right? We, as a human race, invent things, come up with things, and we have good intentions at the start, we want to make this thing for good, right? Like the iPhone, for instance, right? Like when Steve Jobs announced the first iPhone, I think it was in 2007, he walked up and his intention was to create a device. That's actually rather impressive at the time, right? It's a phone, an iPod, and like a web browser on one device. Boom, it changed the world, right? And it did. Because now we have a plethora, uh, well, we actually have all of 
humans know knowledge just in our back pockets at any given time that we can just pull up and have and get access to, right? Awesome blessing. Good intentions at the beginning, right? He didn't realize that when he invented it, he'd be inventing also like screen addiction and all kinds of other crazy things, right? Right? So there was a good intention in inventing it, but it didn't last, right? No matter what, it seems that humans, we, we invent good things and we have good intentions in inventing good things, but always eventually gets abused or it rots away or it, get, it gets used for evil, right? And as we continue through Ecclesiastes, we know so far that like as a wisdom book, it is revealing us, revealing to us the nature of reality, right? Because that's what his intent is to do. His intent is to make known to us that this is the real world. We don't like it. It's not always pleasant. This isn't what he's prescribing. He's not saying, hey, live this way and live with these thoughts in your mind. No, no. He's saying, as a person who's growing and maturing and beginning to draw closer to the Lord and understanding the world around them, a part of maturing, a part of growing, is dealing with that reality. Dealing with the reality of death and dealing with the reality of, despite good intentions, something always eventually breaks, something always eventually gets abused. Right? And so that's kind of what we're going to look, because... Last week, we looked at that really awesome poem, right? It's, there's a time to live, there's a time to die, there's a time to laugh, a time to mourn, right? And, and it was always in that, in us seeing that the reality of things is, is there is a time for both. But as humans, we need that reminder because a lot of times we really just want to be happy all the time, right? Which isn't a bad thing. And so if we become so consumed by that, we forget about reality. We forget that sometimes it's okay to mourn. Sometimes it's okay to be sad. Sometimes it's okay to be angry. Depends on what you do with your anger, but it's okay to be angry, right? And so as we continue on through the text, he has wrapped up that poem. We've kind of looked at, you know, in, in 9 through, through uh, 15, he kind of expounds more on that poem. And then it's almost as if he goes back to kind of what he was doing in chapter 2, where he's kind of bringing up these different things and just reminding us of the reality of what is, all right? And so starting in verse 16, he says, Moreover, I, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. Now, at the time that this was written, right, government infrastructure existed, Right? There was a justice system. Ideally, they were living under God's law of the Old Testament for their people. And it was a good system. It was, well, actually, because God gave it to them, it was perfect because it was his law. Right? It's God's law. This is how you live. This is how you deal with each other civilly. This is, this is what you do. But as he lived and as he uh, experienced life, he discovered that because we take good things and make them bad because that's human nature, that justice was abused, right? And that's why he says that even in the place of justice, there's wickedness. 
Man, thank goodness that doesn't happen anymore, right? Thank goodness the American government hasn't been corrupted. I mean, golly, I rue the day that happens. Right? Do you see what the reminder is for us? Like, it's easy for us as Americans to really clamp down on the fact that, like, I mean, let's be honest. Like, the American experiment, as they call it, is awesome. All right? It's good. It's, it's, but it's not perfect. And it's, like, super corrupted. And a lot of people with power and money and wealth, and this was happening back then, too, and it's happening today, were taking their power, were taking their wealth, and they were using it to get away with things that they shouldn't have because they had the ability to pay someone off. And again, that happens today. And so the conclusion he makes is he goes, in the place of justice, even there is wickedness. And even in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. Justice and righteousness. We think about justice, we think about the courts, we think about the government system that we live in and that we're a part of. And when it comes to righteousness, it's the religious, it's the, your personal righteousness What's he pointing out here? He's saying that even our personal righteousness can tend to wickedness because, and you already know why, right? Because if your life is lived just to be the righteous person, and that is your end, that is your, that is your end, that's what your goal is, it becomes wickedness. You know why? Because at the heart of you being righteous, it's not for the glory of God. It's not for the benefit of someone else. You know, I've, I've talked to people of other religions, and, and I won't, I'll be nice and I won't say the religion here, but they come up and they say, Hi, I need to do a good deed. Can, can you help me do this good deed? It's for me. It's for my growth. It's for my benefit. And they just kind of, like, but do you see the heart of the problem? Oh, wait, so you're not really, you don't really care about me and helping me. You're just trying to help yourself by doing this good deed. Do you see how righteousness becomes wickedness now? That's what he's saying. He's saying righteousness can be abused because though you have good intentions, right? You're trying to help someone. If you get underneath it and you get at the the foundation of it, you're really only doing it for yourself. And that's wicked. It's a tough pill to swallow, right? Um, I like to think of myself as like a really likable person. Not a lot of people don't like, I get along with most everyone, right? And you would think that my intention, well, actually, yeah, my intention is good, right? Because like, I just, I want to be a likable person. I want people to like me. I want to get along with everyone, right? I want to be, as the Bible says, be peaceable with everyone within your ability, right? Like I want to do that. But, But let me be honest. I'm a, I'm a people pleaser, and at the heart of it, I'm really only trying to be likable because I just want you to like me. Do you see my wicked intent? Do you see my selfishness there? Right? Like, that's what he's trying to get at. He's trying to tell us that, again, as Ecclesiastes has done the whole time, he's making us aware of the reality of things. The reality of things is this, that the justice justice system is corrupted Because of our sinfulness, because at the heart of it, we've missed the point. Like our justice system in our day and age is 
great, but it is horribly corrupted. And we know as believers that at the heart of it is because they have taken God out of it. There's no ultimate standard anymore, so I can kind of make justice how I want to make it, how it fits into me. And the same goes for righteousness. It becomes wicked when, at the end of the day, the foundational part of why we're being righteous is me. Do you understand what he's getting at? And it's crazy because at the end of the day, again, Ecclesiastes just points out this beautiful truth. Ain't nothing changed, right? Because the truth that was the truth for them back then is still true for us now. We are still in this place where though we create this awesome justice system with the best intentions, right? I mean, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of like all the the checks and balances, like all of that stuff is good, but it doesn't work. And it's corruptible, absolutely corruptible, right? And then in our own hearts to make it personal, like no matter what, if you're really honest with yourself, and really a part of growing in your faith is admitting that you have this wickedness in you, especially because, uh, what's the old saying? Um, Well, I can't remember it, so I'll just sum it up. the greater I realize my wickedness, the greater I realize the grace of God. Like God's grace becomes so much more poignant when I see that despite my wickedness, I'm forgiven. Ah, until sin be bitter, grace will not be sweet. That's the same. And it is essentially is saying that for us, if we realize that our righteousness, our good deeds and our good acts at the heart, at the core, are wicked because at the end of the day we're really just seeking after self-approval and self and us, like once we're willing to admit that, like then that's when healing can come. And that's when we can actually learn to do righteous acts for the glory of God and for the benefit of others as the first two commandments tell us, right? Or the, see what I'm saying? And, and I think that's what he's trying to get us to see. But then he almost like gives us this awesome reminder, right? He says, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Yes. Do you see it? Despite all the wickedness that is very apparent to us in the world today, both in the justice system, the systems that we live in and are a part of our society, and righteousness, our personal Our hearts are the things that we do and struggle with and everything. Despite those things, God is just and in his perfect timing, he will make all things right. Boom. I really wish that was the end of the sermon, but it's not. But do you see what that does for the believer? For us, it reminds us that despite all of those things, despite all of that wickedness in the system and in our hearts, God is just. God will take care of it. God's timing is perfect and good and always spot on. He's never off. He's never like, oh, my timing was a little off there. My bad. No, no. It's perfect. And a part of us growing in our faith and a part of us living in this world is being aware of those, both of those realities. The reality of our wicked hearts, the reality of our uh, world's wickedness, and the reality of God's perfect justice. And that he will make all things right eventually. 
And not, it's not going to be in my timing. It's not going to be in yours. It's going to be in his, right? And so he talks to us on justice. And then he says, and sadly he's going back to like that death topic, which nobody likes talking about. So I pre-apologize. I'm just preaching a text, guys. I'm not doing this on purpose. Okay. Love you. All right. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. What's he saying here? First, my understanding of the children of man, it can either be in reference to God's people, right, the Israelites, or for us, God's people, the church, us, or it can be all of humanity, or both. I want to say it's more pointed towards his own people in this context. I could be wrong. The scholars and other pastors will hopefully correct me afterwards. But what he's doing is, is he says, God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. By beasts, he means but animals. And he's actually going to explain it a little more, and then, and then I'll add a little. He says this, For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Again, Ecclesiastes is hoping to bring us down a bit, right? He's trying to knock us down a notch. Because as humans, we like to think that because we kind of like rule the world, if you will, like God gave us, like in the beginning, he said, hey, this planet's yours, take care of it, it's yours, go, right? Like that was, that's what we were called to do, cultivate, create, Use what I have given to, given to you to make this world awesome. And, and really, despite all the disaster and sin, we've done that, right? Made a lot of really cool, beautiful things out of this creation. And so that's what we were called to go and do. And so a lot of times we get, I don't know, big heads, right? We're, we like to... I think my battery's going to die. Maybe. Okay. I can talk really loud, too, if I have to. Sorry about that. Um, that he's trying to bring us down a notch because he's trying to remind us that despite the fact that, yes, we are made in the image of God, we are still but beasts because we will what? We will die. It should be a reminder for us every time we drive down the highway and see a dead deer or whatever animal on the side of the road, smushed, what should it be for us? It's that humble reminder that, oh yeah, I'm just like that. I, I'm going to die someday. It's harsh, right? Cynical almost. Um, but the other I'll use the mic. Oh, it's back on. But I'll just turn it off and be a rapper for a day. Or not. All right. Let me get back to where I was thinking. Oh, right. The other day, I was driving down the highway, and I actually, I'm pretty convinced I accidentally hit a bald eagle on my windshield. I was driving. It was the weirdest thing. So I, I'm driving down in the Loma Valley, and I go around that little corner there right before you go up the hill to Fort Benton, and there's a dead 
animal on the road, and I watched this giant, what I'm assuming was an eagle because it was very big, go down to get some food, hit the ground, turn around, see me, do the big bird eye thing where it's like, and then fly up. And then I proceeded to hit it with my windshield. And then it flopped to the ground, but I kept driving. Maybe I should have pulled over because it's an endangered species. Either way, I'm pretty sure I hit a bald eagle. It was like a week or two ago. And I am pretty sure because, like, the wingspan took up, like, the whole windshield of the car. Like, I'm not kidding. It was huge. Anyways, what a reminder, right? Do, do you see what Ecclesiastes is attempting to do to us? He's attempting to bring us down and remind us that just like those random beasts that you hit with your windshield, you're going to die. I'm awkwardly silent on purpose. Remember, the point of this is sober reflection. We need to be reminded that we're not invincible. Now, here's the cool thing. As you get older, it's a lot easier to accept that because, like, we start to break down. The young kids, the young people right now don't believe us, right? They're like, nah, I'm invincible. I'm good. I got it. That's why they do all the crazy fun stuff because they think they're invincible. And life hasn't beaten them down a few notches yet. But it will. Like me on my 30th birthday. I know I'm still young. Whatever. I walked up the stairs and like my knee popped. And I was like out. Down for the count. And all I did was walk. Welcome to my 30s, they said. But that's the inevitability of life, right? That's the reminder. We will die. We are like the beasts of the field They all have the same breath. We all breathe the same air. And man has no advantage over the beasts. For all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. And to the dust all return. Yeah, wow. Sorry. I know it's depressing. I know we don't like hearing about the fact that, like, I have no advantage over the beast. Now, In an obvious way, we obviously do, right? We're made in the image of God. We have opposable thumbs and consciousness, all that. But in the context of we are all, like, we're all going to the same place as in death, we have no advantage over them. Because no matter what we do, no matter what kind of awesome lotion and moisturizer we put on our skin, no matter how many um, cool vitamins we take, no matter how well we work out, no matter what, nothing is going to stop that train from coming. We are all going to die, and we are on the same plane as the beasts. That's what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying. He's trying to humble us and return us to that reality because, again, from time to time, we need that reminding, right? Just like we need the reminding that, like, yes, we have a good justice system, and yes, we do some pretty cool stuff from time to time, we're still wicked at the heart of it, right? And just like we need that reminder, we need the reminder that, like, we're all headed towards the same door. We're all headed towards death. No matter what, it's coming. It's going to happen. We don't know the day or the time. Now, if we were to stop there, it would be kind of like a hopeless, like, wow, okay, thanks a lot, Jeremy. Let's pray, you know. Have a good week. See you later. Have fun. 
Because if we were to just leave it there, it is kind of a somber hopelessness, right? Like, oh, well, what good is this life then? Right? He just said that word again, all is vanity. All is an enigma. All is in a mystery of, of, of we can't fathom or understand it. We don't get it. No matter what we do, no matter what we cultivate, no matter what power, no matter what skill we, we bring to the table, no matter what, we all end up at the same place, death. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? Now, if you were to look at this text alone, you might be tempted to think that the author is essentially going like, oh, so then we really are on the same playing field as the animals. And like the evolutionists say, we have no soul. Um, and, and, he, and the author himself is questioning the idea of us having like a spirit or having an afterlife. That. A lot of scholars have debated that maybe that's what he was concluding, but if you, you know, read the Bible within the Bible and you take it within context, that's not what he's saying, right? But he is, again, pressing on us the reality of our equalness with those dead beasts on the side of the road, right? Like he's wanting us to see that that is what is bound to happen to us. And who knows? For someone who lives a life where what you see is what you get and this is all we have, this is the question they're asking, right? Who knows what happens? We could be equal with the animals. We could be highly evolved monkeys. If that's the case, there's real no hope and there's real no separation. So, like, why, why are we doing all this? What's the point of all this? That's the question that they might ask. So I saw there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice, rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Now, on one end, that is his lot is like what you see is what you get. You live, you work, you die. That's it. Enjoy. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. But again... As I've been pointing out since we started in Ecclesiastes over and over and over again, he wants us to be reminded that without God at the center of our lives, without God being the preeminence, the main thing for us, yes, all of this is vanity. The really good harvest you just pulled in maybe, if it's good or bad, pointless. You're just going to have to reseed and grow it again. And all that money you made from the harvest, you're just going to spend it. What's the point? Right? See what I'm saying? I feel like I'm picking on farmers a lot. Sorry. Not sorry. Love you. Okay. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. So that's the first way we can look at it. The other way that we can look at it is us as believers going back to that central truth that God is here, that God is in fact real, and that the reality of our life is, is yes, we live in this broken down, corrupt world, but God is just and God is good and God has paved a way to make all things right again, right? He has. And so... Being reminded that this book 
is a wisdom literature, right? Actually, maybe I should. Oh, cool. That was the last slide. Being reminded that this book is a wisdom text. It is wanting us to be in tune with the reality of the world and be in tune with the reality of who God is. As Christians, we ultimately know that all of the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Christ, right? We ultimately know that all the law and the prophets and everything was eventually pointing to the fact that God would send his son down to be the perfect sacrifice to make us right with God and restore hope and restore meaning and restore purpose for everything that we do on this world. It's a balance of us both being reminded that this is the world we live in. Here we are. Everything's corrupt. The powerful take advantage of the weak. The corrupt corrupt a lot and get away with it. And you and your hearts are still just as wicked as you were yesterday. That's the reality of it. But in Christ, we are made new creations. And while being aware of the world we live in, we can be a part of restoring hope to it, right? And the gospel pushes us to do that because he became sin on our behalf, right? He came down and by doing that, he has made us right. He has put us in a place where we are in a right relationship with God. And so because of that, that restores hope in us. And now that we have that hope in us, we want to share that hope. And that doesn't mean we just go around and throw Jesus WWJD stickers at people. It means that we live our lives, we farm our crop, we build our buildings, we do all the work that we've been given to do, and we do it with God as the center of everything that we do. It is the reminder that, yes, the world is real, but God is in it. God is involved. And this shapes how we take, this shapes how we understand things that happen to us in this world. So now when we suffer and when we hurt, God is in it. God is intimately involved and he cares, so I'm going to trust him and I'm going to keep going. I'm aware of the reality of the suffering. I'm not ignoring it. I'm acknowledging that the suffering is there. But at the same time, I know that God is there and there's hope because of his presence. His presence is in me because Christ has restored me to him. Right? And so Ecclesiastes is trying to help us see that, yes, we live in an unjust world. And we're all a bunch of righteous wannabes, really, because all of our good deeds are covered in wickedness because really at the heart of it we're selfish. But there's hope, and God is there, and God is moving, and God is working. And in his perfect time, he will ultimately make all things just and all things new and all things good. But until then, he calls us as his believers to go out into the world and make him the center of everything, to make him the reality that he is, because we have a hard time doing that. We forget, right? And so that's my challenge for you guys this week, that as you, and, and maybe go back and look at this text and, and, and meditate on it. Think about it. Because again, the whole book is just, this is reality. And it's both the reality of the state that we're in now and the state that God is in. 
his perfectness, his goodness, his justice. And really, the whole time he's been, be aware of this, but don't so much focus on it that it becomes an enigma and vanity and pointless. Be aware of it, but yet at the same time, focus on the one who's going to correct it, right? It's kind of hot in here, so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to let you guys go get some air. And it's my fault that the AC is broken, but I'll blame the pastor who's not here just for fun. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. I pray for each person's heart in here this morning, Lord, that that you would do the work of making yourself known and present and intimate with them, that they would know that you are good, that they would know the reality of the world that they live in, but at the same time, they would be comforted by the fact that you're in it with them. You are indeed not a God who sits on a throne with his nose looking down at us, but you are a God who is here now, working, moving, changing. Help us to see that. Help us to believe that. And thank you for this time. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Have a good week.